Have you ever had the feeling you were being watched? My name is August Cruz. A few years ago, I wrote a book called Stalker. It's a fiction about a man who becomes obsessed with a woman he's never actually met. Like most fictions, however, the story has its roots in real stalking cases. Over 25 million people have experienced stalking in their lifetime. Today, we're going to explore one of those cases. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of My Favorite Prey. I'm August Cruz, and if you're anything like me, you're fascinated by true crime. Why? I've never been sure, really. Maybe it's a desire to analyze human nature. Maybe it's a morbid curiosity. Maybe it's the same reason some of us like horror movies. You know, years ago, I was speaking with uh, the late horror writer Jack Ketchum, who was a dear friend of mine, and we were talking about this fascination, and I asked him, now, you write things that scare the hell out of people. What scares you? Without missing a beat, he said, people. Not knowing what they're capable of or what their real motivation is. You could be sitting on a seat on a bus or a train next to a serial killer and not even know it. Which is a good point when you consider how some of the most evil acts were committed by people you wouldn't expect it from. They look just like everyone else, blend in and even talk like everyone else. The last thing you'd expect is for them to have someone chained up in their basement. It's a gruesome picture, I know, but unfortunately it does happen. Oh, and it's really easy to overlook certain behaviors or tells, as they say in poker, which puts me at a huge disadvantage since I don't know how to play poker. Most people who have ulterior motives make it a point to act like the people around them. If you've ever seen the movie American Psycho, classic by the way, it's the one where Christian Bale plays this high-powered Wall Street guy. Um, he's in a suit and tie, business cards, attends fancy parties in the city. What people don't know is that he has these homicidal tendencies to murder like on a mass level. If you've ever seen that movie, then you'll know what I mean. Some people think that language or the words some people use can be a clue or provide an insight as to who they are and maybe even what they think. For example, people often throw around the word love a little carelessly. And I don't just mean like at weddings. I'd like to think that at weddings they actually mean it. But they use the word love to describe a multitude of things without really giving credit to the weight the word actually carries. You ever been speaking with someone and they mention that they went to a particular restaurant and your response might be something to the effect of, oh God, I love that place. Really? You love that place. You love a building that happens to serve food that you pay for. Okay? Or maybe even something as simple as an ice cream flavor. I love dulce de leche ice cream. And I'm kind of guilty of saying that as well. But it's like, really? You love a frozen flavored dairy product. That's where your love lies. Fine. Sometimes, you've probably even heard people use that word when referring to a movie, a TV show, or an actor. Rebecca Lucille Schaefer was born on November 16, 1967 in Eugene, Oregon. Her parents, Dana and Dr. Benson Schaefer, were both accomplished instructors. Rebecca originally had aspirations to become a rabbi, but when she began modeling during her junior year in high school, she realized that her passions lay elsewhere. 
1984, she moved to New York to pursue a modeling career. And if you've ever seen a picture of her, you'll understand that success was the only thing she could possibly achieve in that area. So much so, in fact, that she started acting in soap operas such as Guiding Light and One Life to Live. By the way, I don't care who you are, if you've ever been laid up in the hospital or recuperating or maybe even during COVID, you get hooked on those things. Her performances were quickly identified as top-notch by many in the industry, which, of course, led to opportunities to audition for other roles, specifically for the role of Patty in the 1986 sitcom My Sister Sam, where she would co-star with Mork and Mindy's Pam Dauber. Now, for those of you who might be listening, who are a little on the young side, Mork and Mindy was a very well-known popular comedy series um, the late 70s and the 80s starring Pam Dauber and of course the late great actor Robin Williams. After Mork and Mindy, Pam Dauber went into My Sister Sam which is when she met Rebecca Schaefer. Rebecca moved to California for the role. The success of the show, though short-lived as it only lasted from 1986 to 1988, which is a shame in my opinion, as I remember watching the show and thinking it was pretty funny. Yes, I'm that old. Shut up. Anyway, this brought Rebecca to the attention of even more producers, as she was not only the cover girl for Seventeen magazine, but also starred in several movies. She was also the spokesperson for Thursday's Child, a children's charity, which only tells you a little bit more about her character. Unfortunately, Hollywood's elite weren't the only ones who noticed Rebecca. Robert John Bardo had a difficult childhood growing up in Tucson, Arizona. By all accounts, his family had a history of mental illness, and it is said that he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And if you ever see a picture of this guy, you'll see he's not exactly the Christian Bale type of American psycho at all. This guy definitely could tell was off. He was placed in a foster home and temporarily institutionalized after threatening to commit suicide. After a series of mental health issues, and what some have referred to as quote-unquote strange conduct, however you interpret that, he dropped out of high school and worked as a janitor at a fast food store chain which shall remain nameless. He became obsessed with child peace activist Samantha Smith. I don't know how many of you remember her, um, but Samantha Smith was known as a child actress who voiced her opposition to the Cold War between the U.S. and Russia back in the early 80s. She made quite an impact on the world and showed us that you don't necessarily have to be a politician or even an adult for that matter to voice your opinion on something as controversial or as important as nations that are warring each other. Unfortunately, Smith died in a plane crash in 1985 when she was only 13. Bardo, who was 15 at the time, could no longer focus his... uh, attention on her. This, sadly, had uh, an impact on Bardo, and so he kind of was a recluse a little bit, and while watching TV, Rebecca quickly caught his eye. He became obsessed with her, and began sending her fan letters, for lack of a better term. Letters after letters after letters, unanswered. Eventually, though, Schaefer was kind enough to send him a reply with a standard signed studio shot of her. I'm sure you guys have seen those. 
the headshot with this you know signature of the actor or actress saying thanks for watching or all the best that kind of thing for most of us though we get something like that oh my god look what I got this is great quote unquote I love this and then put it away as a keepsake uh-uh this only cemented Bardo's twisted idea that they were meant to be together because you know that's what you think when you get a standard studio headshot signed by the actress that you've never met or spoken to. So he did what any other irrational person would do. He flew out from Arizona to California to meet her. Always the romantic, he showed up to the studio with silk flowers and a teddy bear. Classy move, what a smoothie. The studio turned him away, shockingly, and said that he should not return to the studio. Uh, he tried reaching out to her several times, but was turned away by the studio each time. One of the last times was when he showed up to the studio with a knife. Surprisingly, this did not grant him access to the studio lot, and the security guards had to forcibly remove him. Bastards, I can't believe how cold they were. So, Bardo returned to Arizona. Dejected and feeling absolutely horrible that he couldn't get to meet his paramour, the love of his life, his reason for being. Unfortunately, that little point in his life where he was going to stay in Arizona didn't last long. See, he saw her in a comedy where she appeared in bed with another actor. Can you imagine? This woman, who he had never met or spoken to, had the audacity to appear on film in bed implying a sexual relationship with another actor. Can you believe that they get paid for that kind of thing? Well, I mean, that was just too much. This infuriated Bardo, and he flew back to California. Once there, he obtained her address from, not the Yellow Pages, a private detective, and he showed up at her home instead of the studio this time. Schaefer answered the door. You see, she was expecting a script for the movie Godfather 3. And it was supposed to be delivered that day. But when she answered the door, it wasn't a courier there waiting for her. It was Robert Bardo. He excitedly showed her the picture that he had of her. And after speaking for a little while, a little polite chit-chat, she politely said that, you know, she had to go. And thank you so much for stopping by. Um, I wish you all the best. But I really have to go and close the door. Now, I think anybody else would realize, okay, uh, this is time for me to split and just not come back. No, 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 no. See, Bardo left, had something to eat at a nearby diner, which is what you do, of course, when you're a psychopath and your obsessive crush uh, has rejected you. And you realize that that wasn't enough to satiate his hunger. So he went back to Rebecca's and rang the bell. Happily, she came down the stairs and answered, fully expecting to have the, op the opportunity and the possibility to work with legend like Al Pacino and Francis Ford Coppola. But instead, she only saw Bardo when she opened the door. So her smile quickly faded. And this did not set well with Bardo. See, he took this as another indication of, have, of her becoming another cold Hollywood whore 
as he referred to her, these are not my words, this is what he said about her. Without saying a word, without uttering a threat, he pulled out a gun and shot her point blank in the chest. According to this deranged lunatic, who unfortunately was the only person to hear her last words, all she said as she was bleeding and writhing in pain on the ground was, Why? This beautiful, talented young woman with a life ahead of her, she had plans to star in a big-budget movie, had already enjoyed so much success at a very young age. All she was left with now was that one question. And she unfortunately asked it in front of the person who took the, all those opportunities away from her. Police caught and arrested Bardo the next day. Of course, he ran back to Arizona. They caught him as bystanders reported a strange man wandering through traffic. It's unfortunate that he wasn't hit by one of the cars. Anyway, they caught him. He confessed to the murder. He was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to life in prison without parole. See, the sad thing about a story like this, quite frankly, is that it took the murder of Rebecca Schaefer, once again a talented, young, beautiful actress, so much more to achieve in life, for the passing of America's first anti-stalking laws. Bardo, as I had mentioned, she, uh, was able to get her address through the use of a private detective. Well, because of what happened and the result of that, laws have been enacted where they can't do that anymore. They can't provide people with addresses. Sadly, Rebecca Schaefer never got a chance to realize or to see the success of that anti-stalking law. See, there's nothing wrong with admiring someone for their talents, their character, dedication to their career, their creativity, their art or even their looks, but that's not love. There's a big difference between admiring someone for all those things, actually loving someone, and becoming obsessed to the point where you dilute yourself into thinking that you have a right to intrude on their life even after they've asked you not to. It's an old cliche, but it's true. No means no. So while some people may blend in and look just like everybody else, or at least and hopefully not like Robert Bardo, again, yeesh, look, I'll give you nightmares. Keep in mind that there are certain behaviors that may indicate someone is a stalker, and they're not too difficult to identify. Some of these are repeated calls to your phone, whether it's your home or cell phone, including hangups. Those are the creepiest, I think. They follow you, show up wherever you are. They send unwanted gifts, letters, texts, or emails. They damage your home, car, or other property. They monitor your phone calls or computer use, possibly through spyware, which you know is easy to obtain. They use technology like hidden cameras or global positioning systems to track where you go. They drive by you or by where you live, linger near your home, school, or work. They threaten to hurt you your family, friends, even your pets. They perform other actions that control or track or frighten you, sometimes maybe call your work and harass you there. 
Do you use other people to try to communicate with you, like children, family, or friends? All these things are relatively easy to identify. And while sometimes the police can't always act right away on it, at least it's documented. God forbid something else more serious happens. So if you or anyone you know have experienced a stalker or think you may have, please don't hesitate to contact Safe Horizon at 1-800-621-HOPE. That's 1-800-621-4673. They're available 24 hours a day, and while they're based out of New York, any part of the country where you're at, if you contact them, they'll put you in touch with your local authorities to help you. Believe me, it's worth it. Take care of yourselves, watch your surroundings, and I hope you'll join me again.